0: Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, how can a man be in a right before God? Brothers and sisters, do you feel good when you do good? Does doing good make you feel that you're right before God? Does God blessing your life make you feel that you are right before God? What if all of a sudden there's calamities and there's troubles and trials in your life? Do you still then feel right before God? That's a very important question, isn't it? That's a question that Job was struggling with. He needed to find a satisfying answer to that question. For if we are not found to be right before God, then we have to deal with God's wrath and God's anger. And that can be very terrible. And indeed, many in the world do live in fear of an angry God. Many also interpret the the violent storms, the hurricanes, the cyclones, and and the earthquakes, etc., as an expression of God's anger because of our sins. And in some sense, they are right. Just read the book of Revelation. Especially when the seven seals are opened, the seven trumpets are blown, and the seven bowls of wrath are poured out, in these we see how God is pouring out his wrath against the sins of this world before his great and final day can come in. And many too strive to live holy lives not so much out of their love for God but out of the fear for God. And so many are trying to do good things just so that they can appease God. But brothers and sisters, is there not also a deep desire in all of us to be right with God? But how can we be right before God? Can a man even be in the right before God? That's Job's question. That's Job's struggle. Now there are few people who live whole their lives than Job, according to the Lord's own testimony concerning Job. And yet he experienced the wrath of God in the afflictions that came upon him one after another. And so the question of Job, Can a man be right before God? And you know, three and a half thousand years later, another brother struggled with that same question. Can a man be right, be righteous before God? Yes, you may have guessed it, Martin Luther. Although these two men lived in totally different times, one before the coming of Christ, and one after the coming of Christ, and all these two men had at their disposal different resources, in fact, Job did not have before him the scriptures while well, martin luther had the entire scriptures before him yet these two brothers by the grace of god came to the same conclusion that it is only through a mediator or a job calls him here an arbiter or an arbitrator can we be right before god and that brothers and sisters is the glorious message of the scriptures that is the gospel Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of God in in our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore I may proclaim to you. The word of God this afternoon. Righteousness is to be found. Only through a mediator. I will say two points. Why? Basically because the works of man cannot save him. And secondly who? Who can that mediator be? All right Martin Luther. On October 31st 1517. Now over 500 years ago, he nailed the 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. That was one of the greatest events in the history of church. There's not a true church of Jesus Christ that can deny the event of the Reformation. It still echoes throughout the ages. But Martin Luther was not busy with Reformation at that moment. When he nailed those 95 theses on the church door, Martin Luther was announcing to the whole Roman world that he wanted a debate debate with him, a debate on this one basic question, a question that had been burning in the soul. How can a man be right before God? Martin Luther struggled with that question because the Roman Catholic Church had given him a different answer that did not give him peace in his soul, mind, and body. The Roman Catholic Church said it was through good works that one could find peace with God, that one could be right righteous before God. It was said that man could be right before God by worshiping relics, or by receiving papal absolutions, pardon, forgiveness, by purchasing indulgences, by repeatedly attending the sacrament of Mass, or by praying to saints or to Mary in order to receive some merit through them. All these answers equal one word, works, works of man. A man is right before God by his work it was said. Either by his own work or by the works of another of the Virgin Mary or some saint or the Pope. Such an answer did not give Martin Luther the peace he so sought for. And so Martin Luther continued to struggle with that question. How can a man be truly righteous before God? And by grace he found the answer. He received the answer. He found it in the Scriptures, in the Holy Word of God. However, Job, as we saw earlier, another brother of our Lord, also struggled with that very same question three and a half thousand years earlier. But he did not have the Bible. He did not have the written word to turn to as Martin Luther could and did, and as we have and we must do. No, Job stood very much all by himself in a time period in which he lived. But he was not alone. God was with him. And through his dealings with Job, God already so very early in the history of the church, in the history of salvation, revealed to us the truth that salvation is not by works of man, but by work of God alone, in his Son alone, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the book of Job is one of the most intriguing books of the Bible, In the book of Job, we get a glimpse of the struggle between God and Satan concerning the life of man. To whom does man belong? Who controls man's life? Yes, God created man. Thus, man belongs to God. But man deliberately chose to follow Satan. And so, although man originally belonged to God, being created by God, now man belongs to Satan. Because the person you listen to Becomes your boss. Not so. Man deliberately chose to disobey and rebel against God. But Satan is not the Almighty One. God, Yahweh, is the Almighty Sovereign Lord of all creation, despite Earth's fall into Satan's hand. And Yahweh, of his own free will and his own good pleasure, decided to keep a certain number of his fallen race for himself. And in them, he would work faith and trust in him again and forgive them their trespasses and sins. But God made it very clear from the beginning that this this deliverance would come through one born of a woman. For he had forewarned men, if you eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And so this deliverance can only come through a payment a payment that must involve a death of a true and righteous man, as Adam was before he fell into sin. So God exercised justice. So our God is a just God. Indeed, in the book of Job, we see how God and Satan struggled over the person of Job. God is gracious. And through this book gives us a glimpse of the cause of our misery. No, it is not God's fault, for man chose against God. That's also not Satan's fault. No, man is the cause of his own misery. For he deliberately chose to follow Satan. And having done so, Satan can now do with man what he wills. Yes, but only up to a point. For above Satan stands the sovereign Lord. And he will not allow his children to suffer at Satan's hand beyond what they can bear. And he also gives them a way out. While under trial. And the way out is by giving his children knowledge of himself. Of his majesty. Of his power. Of his justice. And yes, also of his grace and mercy and love. Yes, the book of Job is all the more fascinating. When we realize that Job lived in time not long after Abraham. Thus Job did not have the mosaic books of the Old Testament at his disposal. For which he could receive words of comfort and strength in his time of trial. He could not read the books of Moses, much less all the other books of the Old Testament and the New Testament, which we can enjoy so much today. Yet as the waves and billows of troubles flow over him, one after another in an increasing agony, he needs answers. He seeks answers. But where is he to find them? He doesn't have the Old and New Testament to turn to, as we may today. And then, brothers and sisters, we must also stand amazed. And how much depth and insight God had given to Job. Of himself, of his majesty, of his power, of his grace and mercy. Also of his justice, which Job believed with all his heart that God was indeed fair and right. Even though God had not yet given the written word, God worked marvelously in Job's heart. A strong faith in him with that little information that had been passed down to him. Throughout the generations, from fathers to sons. Think about it. Job lost everything. All his livestock, all his servants, and then all his children. Last year, on November, one of our colleagues lost a son in a motorbike accident. About a month ago, also in the Winnipeg area, another son of young age of 32 also died in a motorbike accident. That's one child that a parent needs to lose. It's devastating. Horrible. And yet here is Job with seven sons and three children. All lose their lives at one time. Can you imagine having to go through something like that? Terrible tragedy. How devastating it must be for, for Job and his wife. But after all these unusual catastrophes, Job can still confess. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you be able to say that after such catastrophes? Job had a strength of faith that God gave him. Job believed God with all his heart. And he strove to, to live a righteous life before God. We too immediately receive a very good attestation about Job. In the very first chapters of this book. There we read that Job was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Job was even so conscientious of the fact that man was a sinner, that he would even, after his children had a party the night before, rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings, according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And when Satan came before God, And disputed the well-being of Job. The Lord gave this attestation about Job. There is none like him on the earth. Blameless and upright. Who fears God and turns away from evil. Wow. Talk about a saint. Now here you certainly will find one. If someone from the Roman Catholic Church. Was looking for a saint to pray to. In order to receive some merits. In order to get to heaven. Then they should pray to Job he would be a good one to pray to, for the Lord said of him, there's none like him on all the earth. However, Job would be the first person to say, stop this nonsense, for I know I am a sinner. He even says in verse 20 of chapter 9, though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. And verse 28, and following Job says, I become afraid of all my sufferings, for I know that you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned if I wash myself with snow and and cleanse my hands with lie. Yet you would plunge me into a pit. My own clothes would abhor me. Brothers, isn't it striking? God gives such a wonderful testimony about Job. With such a testimony, you would think that Job has really nothing to worry about. Job, too, loves the Lord. He strives to walk holy and godly as a person and as a family family man. And yet, he does not have the peace with all the good works he does. Job knows that none of his good works will save him. In fact, all the afflictions that came over him help him to realize that he remains a sinner, guilty before his Lord. And so he continues to struggle with, how can a man be right before God? Yes, it is because Job strives to live so upright before the Lord that he cannot understand why. Why the Lord is dealing with him in this way? What is going on? Why all this sudden calamity in his life? Is God just? In verse 22, Job even begins to ask, is it really all the same? Does God destroy both the blameless and the wicked? You see, Job comes to deep despair. For despite the good he does, it does not seem to help him anything at all. Through all this, Job comes to the realization that he's in need of a mediator. Outside of all the good that he does, his good works help him nothing. It seems like the Lord is rubbing his nose, as it were, literally in the dirt, so that it would become absolutely clear to Job that nothing in him or what he has done can save him. All his health, all his wealth cannot save him. Job needs a mediator outside of himself. Now, let us be honest, brothers and sisters. Don't we have that struggle at times too? That when we strive to live faithful and holy lives, don't we expect the Lord to bless us? And then when we have troubles in life, don't we get become a little bit confused? Would we not sometimes then ask a why question? Why, Lord? And then we have the three friends of Job who come to sit with Job and hope to, to give Job some comfort in his despair. But they too are at a loss. They know that Job is upright and an honest man. Therefore, they too cannot understand why this would happen to their friend. Unless there is something in Job's life that they are not aware of. Ah, yes. That's what it must be. Job must have a secret life. You know, people can have secret lives, eh? Sometimes spouses have secrets from one another. Sometimes parents have secrets from their children or children from their parents. But the Lord knows. Job must have a secret life. On the outside, he looks so pure and holy. But on the inside, he must be so crooked and wicked. That must be it. For surely God would not punish the upright and the blameless man, would he? This is the only logical conclusion that they can come to. That Job must really be a sinner. And that of the worst kind. Bildad expresses this so piercingly when he says, Does God pervert justice? Or does the Almighty pervert the right? God has just said, build on. And that is why all this is happening to you, Job. Let's face it, Job. It can't be anything else. Your calamities has exposed your sins. Your hidden sin. The deep secrets of your heart. It can't be anything else. You are a sinner, Job. And you must be a sinner of the worst kind. You appear to be so righteous, but you're actually a hypocrite. God has seen your sins, Job. God is now exposing you for who you really are. Repent, Job, and surely God will bless you again. But Job answers, no, no, that cannot be true. I do not have any hidden sin in my life. I do not have any hidden sin in my heart. Yes, Job recognizes that he is a sinner, but not in the sense that God will not punish him for some hidden sin. Nothing has changed in Job's life. With respect to being upright and blameless. That God should bless him in days gone by. And now curse his life as it were. Job cannot agree with Bildad's evaluation of his situation. He says that is not the case. And therefore there is no comfort in what Bildad says to him. Even if there were some truth in their statement. For who is not without sin? Yet what comfort would such a statement be to Job? Miserable comforters, that's what they are. They are the ones who have come in order to comfort Job. But instead of comforting him, they make matters a whole lot worse. They cannot give a solution to his troubles. The solution they gave him placed Job in even greater despair. That is why Job cries out, for he knows it is true, as Bildad says, God does punish the wicked. Job also knows it is true. God will bless those who turn to him with a repentant heart. Those who confess their sins, God will bless. But he has always lived an upright and blameless life before the Lord. Therefore, for what particular sin must he now confess, so that the Lord would again bless him? Job is at a loss. He's in great misery. Job cries out for an arbitrator. None of his deeds help him. None of his friends help him. And so we come to the second point. Who can that mediator be? Brothers and sisters, think of yourself as having no knowledge of the written scriptures. Think of yourself as, as having no knowledge of the cross. No knowledge of the communion table. And then be faced with this, that you've lost everything in life, including your children. And then even your beloved wife, your helpmeet in life, to help you walk in holiness and godliness. And she should say to you, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow. That's a slap in the face to Job. What greater misery can Job take? Brothers and sisters, when we see someone suffering, we can go to them and comfort them with the complete word of God before us. And we can say to them with confidence that those whom God loves, that those who love God, all things work together for the good of those called to his purpose. We know that that is true. For in the scriptures, we see the fulfillment of all God's promises in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But Job did not know that. He had not seen the Christ. And then he seeks answers to that most important question in life. How can a man be right before God? We know that there's one who is going to bring that justice, that righteousness, that can bring man to stand righteous before God again. But Job did not know that. And he's standing there before the facts as he sees them, as he now experiences them. That is not just the misery he's now experiencing, after having been so healthy and well-to-do, but also the knowledge of God that he receives, as Job experiences God in creation, and experiences God in the government of his creation, by which Job knows that God is indeed almighty. He is the one who created everything. He causes the mountains to collapse through earthquakes and landslides. He shakes the earth with volcanoes and earthquakes. He speaks to the sun and the stars, and they respond. And so we have eclipses and meteorites. Then who can stand before such a mighty one, when though living as righteous as possible, yet he punishes with much calamities? How can a man be right before God, Job cries out? And as we saw earlier, three and a half thousand years later, Martin Luther struggled with that very same question. Through the good works teaching of the church of those days, The congregation members were kept from seeing the grace of God and Christ's work alone on the cross. But Martin Luther had the scriptures. And so when he struggled with that same question, how can a man be right before God? He could find the answer in the scriptures. And he found it in Romans 1, verse 17, where the Apostle Paul wrote, the righteous shall live by faith. And then in the following chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul made it abundantly clear That righteousness is not by works of man, in obedience to the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, in in Christ's work alone, on the cross alone. Yet we saw too that Job too had faith. Job believed in God. He had faith in God. A God of might, a God of power, a God of justice. A God who does as he pleases. A God whom you cannot call to account. Who does not have to give account to anyone. Bildad had tried to convince Job, you must be an awful sinner, Job. And your children, too, must be been awful sinners. But Job responded very clearly, no, no, that is not true. That cannot be true. But he still has that question, how can a man be right before God? Who can plead his cause? Who can look into Job's heart and know what really lives there in his heart? Job defends himself in the charges made against him by his friends. For Job was convinced that although he is a sinner like everyone else, yet he has not committed any gross and deliberate sin against God, that he should now be punished in such bitter ways. Who is there to deliver him? You see, a sense of hopelessness overwhelms him. For the very one God who is able to defend him is the very one who has allowed all these catastrophes to come upon him. Who then can he turn to? Who is he, Job, to call God to account? God is God. God is the creator. A man is man, a mere creature of God's creation. Job says in verse 32, For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. Therefore Job yearns for a mediator, desperately wishes that there was an arbitrator, I'm sure students in the catechism class knows what a mediator is. A mediator is a go-between. Someone who stands between two opposing parties and, and brings them together again, bringing peace through reconciliation. Job yearns for someone like that. Job yearns for such a one who lays a hand on him and lays a hand on God and brings them into a relationship with God again. Stand righteous before him. Later in Job 19, Job's thoughts develop to the point that he can confess that there's no Redeemer other than God himself. He then places his complete faith and trust in God as the one and only who in the end will need to redeem him from all his troubles, for there is none other. And so in Job 19, he declares in full confidence and trust, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at last he will stand upon this earth. And after my skin has been destroyed in my flesh, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. and My eyes shall behold him, and not another. My heart faints within me. But Job does not know what we know today, about how God will go about redeeming his people. Yet Job yearns for a mediator who has sufficient credentials, so that he could put one hand on the one-party man and the other hand, on the other part of God, and so draw them together again, God and man. Thus the mediator must be someone who is more than a man, more than one who walks upon the earth, someone who is both man and God. Now from where would Job have received some sense that one day there would be a mediator walking upon the earth? He would have received that from what his fathers told him. As we read in Job 8 verse 8, consider what the fathers have searched out. And so as the promise of paradise was passed down through the generations, he could have known then that the Redeemer would be born of a woman. And so he would indeed be a man. But how could Job know that he would be at the same time true God? So that that mediator, so he would be that mediator that Job so longs for? Job could not have known that. He only knows that a mediator is necessary, someone who could lay a hand on him and on God, and so restore peace between him and God again. The brothers and sisters, what Job longed for, what Job could not yet see, we, by the grace and mercy of God, know and see. God brought back the church to focus on his only son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as the only mediator for our sins, as the only means of redemption and peace, as the only way we can stand right before God. Peace is only brought about in the one great deed done by Him, who alone is true God and true man, our Lord Jesus Christ, as He hung on the cross, as God and as man. It is by the power of His Godhead He could pay in His human nature the wrath of God against our sins, and so bring about peace through the cross between God and man. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who could lay a hand on God and say to the Father, Father, these are the ones for whom I have died. Glorify them with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. And he can lay his other hand on us, on you and me, and say to us, Come into the inheritance of your heavenly Father, which I have prepared for you through my death on the cross. For although your sins were like crimson, I have made them as white as snow, so that your Heavenly Father no longer sees them anymore. Yes, through me, you have received access to your Heavenly Father. Indeed, righteousness is only to be found in the one and only mediator, Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, do not be afraid to speak up and to praise him in words in song and with your life. And even with the whole of your life, show the joy of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Let your joy and confidence in God alone shine forth to the world around about you, to your neighbors at school, on a job, and your work. Share that you have nothing to fear, that though you know yourself to be a sinner, Christ's one deed on the cross has made you right before God. Christ's one deed on the cross also causes all your striving not to be in vain. In his death alone, you have nothing to fear, but only an eternal life with your Heavenly Father before you, for now and for eternity. Amen.